Good morning, church. How we doing? Good, good to see you. I'm glad to be here. If you have a Bible, go ahead, turn with me to John 15. John 15 verses 1 through 11 is where we are going to be. If you don't know who I am, my name is Dylan. I'm the high school pastor here. And if you're kind of confused, like I feel like I've seen him before, but I'm not really sure. 99% of the time I have a hat on. I don't have a hat on today. I think if I wore a hat when I was preaching, uh, Pastor Dave would probably slap me if I did that. So I did not wear a hat, uh, but I'm really excited to be here. And I remember being in this church, stepping foot in this place when I was around 16, 17 years old, sitting in the back, looking up here at the people who were preaching, people like Dave, Cal, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Eric in Fremont, and, and, and to really be here now after eight years, nine years later, and to have the privilege to be up here myself and preach God's word to you guys is an honor for me. Uh, and thank you for parents in the room who have high schoolers, love doing high school ministry. And as I said, this church has been a blessing to me throughout the time that I've been a Christian. And this is where I was challenged in my faith. This is where I was grown in my faith. This is where I was discipled. And this is where I met my uh, amazing wife, Libby. She's not here today. She's in California coming back. Uh, she's visiting her sister there, but she'll be back tonight. I wish she was here. And so anybody in high school, we met in high school ministry. And so if you're in high school, you can meet your wife in high school ministry. So if there's a reason to come to high school ministry, that should be number one reason. <laughs> but she's amazing, and I wanted to show a picture of our family. This is our family. We have three kids, Shadrach on the left, Meshach and Abednego. <laughs> I don't have kids. Uh, that's, a, that's a random picture I found online. But I feel like as a new, <laughs> I feel like as a new preacher, Every new preacher that comes up here, they show a picture of their family and they're like, these are my kids. I have no kids, but this is a picture of my wife and our dog. <laughs> we do have a dog. Her name's Goldie. She's a golden doodle, pretty original name. Uh, she just came back from training, so she's a lot more trained now. We are very irresponsible dog trainers, so we had to send her to training. And she came back and she's, uh, uh, she's a lot better now. But I've been married for almost three years. And uh, it's been amazing. And this, just uh, July 27th is our anniversary. And tonight, or this morning, I get to continue our series, How the Gospel Changes Everything. I'm really excited about it because I get to share a little bit about my journey, how I came to know Jesus, how I uh, came to know him and my walk with him, and also to share from one of my favorite passages in Scripture, John 15, and to show you guys what the Lord has spoke to me through this passage. And my desire for everybody in this room this morning is not that you would walk away saying, man, that was a, a, he was a good new preacher up there, or you know what, he was a pretty bad new preacher up there. Hopefully you don't say that. But my desire is not that you would focus on the messenger, myself, or that you would focus on the worship team, or you know, how good they sounded, or that was a good uh, song choices today, but that you would focus on the message of the gospel, because it's not about us. It's about the message of Jesus. And that you would walk away from this message, maybe even if it's just a little bit more, knowing the heart of God that he has for you if you know Jesus. Knowing the promises and the desires that Jesus has for you if you are walking in step with him. Because if you're like me at all, it's hard for me to remember the promises of God. When I'm in a season of discouragement or even a pattern of sin or if I'm in a, a pattern of suffering and I don't know what's going on, I'm going through a hard time in my life, it's hard for me to focus on and remember the promises of God and the desires that God has for me in Christ. 
I'm sure you felt that before when you feel alone and isolated and, and you don't know what to do and where is God in my life? And so today, this is what I wanna talk about. And if you're taking notes, this is the big idea for this morning and where we will go. It's pretty simple, four simple words. God is for me. God is for me. Like I said, four simple words. Words that you have probably thought about before if you're a Christian. Words that people have spoken to you before. Yes, I know that God is for me. But how hard is it to know a truth like this intellectually and to transfer it to our heart? Sometimes it's hard to remember this truth that God is for me. And I pray that if you remember one thing out of this message, it's not that I lied to you about having kids. Like what kind of pastor, what kind of church is this? I've never been to church before and this guy's lying about kids. It's not that you would remember that. What I want you to remember is these four simple words. When you're in a pattern of suffering, when life is just beating you down, when your marriage is not going how you want it to go, when your kids are walking away from Jesus, when your job is not promising the things you thought it would promise, and that the Holy Spirit would speak this truth to your heart. God is for me. And what John 15 is going to do is just practically play this out. It's going to give us some examples and show really the heart of God and how it is practically things that we can walk away with with saying, yes, I know that God is for me and these are the things that Jesus promises. And so let's pray and then dive in to John 15. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and the ability to be here. Thank you for everybody in this room. It's not by accident that they are here. And I pray, Lord, that you just use this time, use me as a vessel to speak your word. Would you remove me and just let your word go forth? Your word does not come back void. And Jesus, we want you to be exalted and honored in this room today. And so do your work, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 15, are you there? If you're there, say, I got it. John 15, verses 1 through 11. This is what it says. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What's a word that we see in this passage a lot over and over? What's that word? Exactly, abide. And here's a little background about John 15. John 15, Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly ministry. In just a few chapters, he's gonna go to the cross, be crucified, dead, buried, rise again. We know the story of the gospel. But what's happening here is he's really given a charge to his disciples, the disciples that lived then, the 12, but also every single disciple that's going to come after, myself and you guys included, and also disciples that are going to live after us. 
And the disciples are pretty ignorant on, on what's happening. They don't know what, what Jesus is going to do. And so he's, he's really challenging them, but also encouraging, encouraging them. And he's like, guys, listen, the world's going to hate you because it hated me. The world is hard. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. But listen, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. He talks about that in John 16. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to be a helper to help you live the Christian life, to help you live how I want you to live. And he's going to say, these are the promises, even though it's hard, these are the promises and desires that I have for you when you are walking with me. And this is what I want you to know as a disciple of Christ. And so here's the first thing that we see. God desires for his children who are walking with Christ. This is the first desire. God desires my growth. God desires my growth. He desires to grow me. So I got saved when I was 16 years old. Didn't really know much about Christianity, much about Jesus, much about God. I went to church a little bit when I was growing up, when I was younger, but kind of got saved through a traumatic experience in my life. So I have a brother. He was here last night, four years older than me. So I was 16 at the time. He was 20, and he had just went to the Navy because uh, he was stationed out in Washington. And we, he was having headaches one day, and he went to the doctor, and they're like, yeah, it's probably nothing. Take some ibuprofen, go home, you'll be fine. But one day it got so bad... Uh, he could barely stand up, he's throwing up, and he goes back to the doctor, and they do an MRI, and so my parents get a call, and the doctor's like, hey, we have bad news. We found something on your brother's brain. It ended up being a grade four astrocytoma, a very aggressive form of brain cancer. Long story short, like I said, he was here last night. He's been nine years clean in remission for nine years. It's a, it's a miracle that God has healed him, and, he, and God is continuing to heal him. And it was uh, awesome to see him here yesterday and to be able to just see how God has healed him and is continuing to move in my family's life. But that was a very difficult time in my life, one of the hardest seasons. And so when that happened, what I did the night before I went out to, to go see him in Washington, I went upstairs and picked up a Bible. Had one on my bookcase, uh, bookcase really have never opened it. But the Spirit of God was calling out to me. And I picked it up and was reading it and knew nothing about Jesus, knew nothing about God. But that night I was like, I want to give my life to this. I want to give my life everything that I am. I want to surrender everything I am to this Jesus that I don't really know anything about. But I knew I had a God that was for me. I knew in that moment that I had a God that wanted me to grow even though I didn't know much about him. And it was during that time I met a couple of friends that had just given their lives to Christ during the same time. And this is how ignorant we were. We started a Bible study in my friend's basement. We thought we were so cool, like, hey, we're Christians now. We're going to read the Bible. We started in the book of Revelation, the hardest book to understand. <laughs> I think it's because it talks about dragons and stuff. We're like, that sounds pretty cool. This is like Lord of the Rings stuff going on. So let's start there. <laughs> but it just shows we knew nothing about Christianity or about Jesus, but we knew that we wanted to follow him and we knew that God was for us and he desired our growth. But like I said, that was one of the hardest seasons of my life and I don't wish that upon anybody and I hope I never go through something like that again. But look at what this verse says again. Every branch that bears fruit, God prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Now what does that word pruning mean? Pruning means a, a stripping back of those things that are dead in order that the good things can grow. And what Jesus is saying is that children of God, God the Father is going to take away those things that are prohibiting us from seeking after Jesus with everything that we are. And can anybody resonate with the truth this morning that sometimes, oftentimes, God uses the most difficult, painful seasons of our life to grow us closer to him? 
That is a truth of scripture. And Jesus is saying the pruning that is going to happen in your life is not because I'm mad at you or because I hate you or because I'm against you. He says you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, which means you already know me. You already have this relationship with me. I know you, you know me, you have given your life to me. And so this pruning is there to grow us in Christ, even when it hurts, even when it's difficult. And so I don't know what some of you guys are going through in this room this morning. I don't know why you're at church. Maybe a friend brought you. I don't know if you've come to church a lot. You've been at this church for many years or it's the first time. But even if you've been a Christian for a long time, I know that the seasons of life can beat us up. I'm only 25, but I've been through some things that are hard and painful. I know a lot of you guys have too, so I don't know where you find yourself. But maybe God is trying to prune you of something in your life. Take away the things that are dead so that you can grow. Take away the things that you are trying to cling on to with your own strength. And God's saying, let me take it away because I desire to grow you because I am for you. I don't know what those things are. I don't know what he's trying to strip away, but maybe the Lord is trying to teach you something this morning. Here's the second thing that God desires for his children who are walking with Christ. Not only does God desire to grow me, God desires to bless me. Look at verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Circle that word nothing in your Bible if, you're, if you have a pen. Verse seven, jump down there real quick. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Something really cool about verse five, a history lesson, I guess you could say about this, is that oftentimes in scripture, Israel is referred to as the vine. It was a national symbol that Israel used. God called them the vine because they were meant to take the good news of God and share it to the surrounding nations. And oftentimes you'd see it on uh, pictures of coins like this. Yeah, it was all over the place in Israel. And they even had a huge gold vine that hung in the temple to represent that these are the chosen people of God. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, what he is saying is that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And where Israel failed to be that vine because of their disobedience and sin, Jesus is saying, I am now the true vine and only through me can you come into a relationship with the heavenly father. It's only by me and what I am doing because I was sinless. I lived a perfect life. I, I lived and I, and I completed God's mission that the Old Testament Israelites couldn't do. And he says, I am the true vine. And he says, because I am the vine and you are the branches, when you know me, when you are abiding with me, when you are walking in step with me, I want to give you the life-nourishing nutrients to live the Christian life. I bless you, Jesus says. If you know me and you're connected to me, you just have to sit at my feet. You just have to walk with me. You just have to bask in my, my presence. This is what Jesus desires for his children who are walking with him. And what does God, what does Jesus bless us with when we're connected to him as a branch? Obviously, he blesses us with salvation, right? But he blesses us with other things too. He blesses us with his Holy Spirit to be able to even walk out the Christian life. He blesses us with good gifts and he blesses us with the hope to come that we know this is not the end, that we are looking forward to eternity. But look at what else he blesses us with. He says this, ask whatever you wish 
and it will be done for you. Does that mean I can ask for whatever we want as Christians, Lamborghini, and I'll get it? Or I love shoes. I had a different pair of shoes on yesterday, um, but I love Jordan 1s, they're probably my favorite shoes. Does that mean I can just ask God, God, give me new shoes, and they fall from heaven, land on my feet? No. That's probably why Libby and I don't have kids yet, because I'm always buying shoes. <laughs> but what, what Jesus is saying here, the principle is, when you are walking in step with me, when your heart's desire is to please me and live for me and have me above everything in your life, the Father's ears are tuned in to your prayers. That is what Jesus is saying. And so he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't that an amazing truth for us Christians today? If you're like me, I want to do everything in my control and, and muster up enough power and energy to do it by myself. But Jesus is like, I know you. I know that you're weak. I know that you're sinful. I know that you fail. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the one that is working through you. When you are connected to me as a branch, let me do my work to grow you. You don't have to do it all by yourself. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I want to ask the question. When you hear that verse, ask anything and I'll give it to you. Are you bold with your prayers? Do you claim this promise of God? Do you understand the fact that you do have a God that is for you? In a parable, Jesus says, if, if a father who is evil knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will our heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God wants to answer your prayers. Are you praying boldly? Is there something in your life where you're saying, man, I need God to move right now or I can't do it anymore? God, I need you to come through in my marriage because I don't know what to do. I need you to save my kids who have walked away from the faith. I need you to heal this cancer that is in my family. It's believing by faith that God will do it. Are you bold with your prayers? Here's the third thing that God desires for his children who are walking in step with Jesus. God desires to fill me with his joy. God desires my growth. He desires to bless me and he desires to fill me with his joy. Look at verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things, what are these things? Verses uh, one through 10, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I wanna stop and meditate on verse nine for a second. Have you ever had a time when you're reading scripture and it's just a normal day and you read the, a passage and nothing really, God doesn't really speak anything to you and then you pick up your Bible maybe a month later and you read the same passage and the, and the spirit of God just illuminates something so rich and true to your life. Anybody ever had that before? Just me, all right, that's fine. <laughs> no, that, that's what happened when I was reading this passage this week preparing. When I was reading verse nine where he says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Think about that for a second. For some of us, it's hard to wrap our minds and our hearts around this truth because we have actually never had a good, loving, earthly father that has truly been for us. We have never really truly had parents who desire to bless us, who desire to grow us, who are actually for us. And so when we hear that, when we hear this truth that as a father has loved me, so have I loved you, we're kind of like, I don't even really know what that means. But think about the love that God the Father has for God the Son. 
It is a love that is not tainted by any sort of sin. It is a love that is 100% pure, that is 100% for Jesus. God has that love for Jesus. And Jesus, what he did is he operated out of that place of knowing that he is 100% loved, 100% known, 100% of the time. And that is how Jesus received joy and he desires the same thing for us. When we operate out of a place of joy, we do so because we know who we are in Christ. We know that we are 100% loved, 100% known all of the time. And he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And if you're like me, I want to conjure up joy in my life by doing it myself, right? I wanna get uh, my own willpower, my strength and scrape off my, my own sin and scrape off my disobedience and scrape off my bad attitudes. Let's be honest, yesterday, the bridge was up. It took me an hour to get to church. I was not very joyful. Said some things in my car that I probably can't repeat when I'm preaching. It was just a bad time. Like I, I'm trying to come here to practice and I, an hour to get to church, I live in Grand Haven. It was not fun. I was not very joyful. I just tried to have joy. Is that, is that how that happens? If I just try to have joy more, if I just try to do it by my own strength, it's gonna happen? It's not usually how it works. In our house, Libby and I split up the chores that we have to do. I hate doing chores. And so that means Libby does the things that I don't like to do and I do the things that she doesn't like to do. And so that means Libby does about 99% of the chores in our house. But one thing that Libby doesn't like to do is the dishes. I hate doing the dishes too, but I do them because I am a faithful, servant-hearted husband. And so I do that. And what will happen sometimes is we'll have dinner. We're eating um, chicken and ketchup or something. Those don't go together really, do they? Not, I don't know, chicken and broccoli. But what happens is we eat dinner, put the dishes in the sink. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do the dishes before I go to bed. And what happens? I'm lazy and I'm irresponsible. So I don't do the dishes and I leave them there. And then I get up the next morning and what happens? The ketchup or the broccoli or the chicken, whatever it is, is stuck on the plate. And you try to do what you can to scrape it off by my own willpower. I have the little kitchen thing or the dish thing and I'm scraping it, it's not coming off. So what's the answer? It's not rocket science, we've all done dishes before. You take the plate, you take the bowl, you set it in the sink, you pour hot water in the bowl and you put soap in it and you let the bowl sit there. It does nothing by its own power or strength. It sits there in the water, in the dish soap. And what is it doing? It's abiding in that. It's abiding in the water, it's abiding in the soap. And after a, a, a 20 minutes, you can go in there, scrape it off, it's clean. This is what Jesus desires for our walk with him. He desires us to soak in his love, to sit at his feet, to be in his presence, to not conjure up our own strength or do it by ourselves. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need the spirit of God in our lives to help transform us. If we want to grow, we need Jesus to do it. If we want God to bless us, we need Jesus to do it. If we want God to fill us with his joy, we need Jesus to do it. And we do that when we get alone with Jesus and we're spending time in his word and we're abiding with him and we're praying and we're saying, God, I want you in my life above everything else. That is what abiding with Jesus looks like, soaking in his presence whenever we have the chance to do it. But if you're like me, when I hear that God wants to give us joy, it kind of makes me angry a little bit or like a little depressed. Because I already mentioned, I'm not really filled with joy 
all of the time. And I've seen in my life a few different things that really robbed me of joy. A few different things in my personal life where I've, I've been in seasons of just discouragement. I'm like, why can't I have this joy? And I wanna talk about three things that rob us of our joy that maybe you have experienced as well. But really, these are personal examples that have happened to me. I'm sure some of you guys can resonate with me. Here's the first one. Things that rob us of this joy that God wants to give us. Number one, comparison. Comparison. Proverbs says comparison is the thief of joy. That's not Proverbs. It's actually Theodore Roosevelt, I think, or Mark Twain. Just want to see if you guys are still listening, if you've fallen asleep. It's not in the Bible. But the world even knows that comparison robs us of joy. And why is it that this thing called comparison robs us of joy? It robs us of joy because essentially what we are saying to our creator is that I am discontent, God, with who I am, where I am at, or what I am doing. That God, how you have made me, you messed up when you made me. Look at my family. You made them amazing. Look at their job. Look at their kids. Look at their spouse. Look at their family. Look at the materials that they have. And look at me. It's kind of a shaking the fist at God and saying, God, I am discontent with how you made me. So I need to look at other people in my life and compare my life and be upset and mad and angry about how you made them. But when we are rooted in the understanding that we have a God that is 100% for us, and desires to give us joy, that is how we fight comparison. Do you know that the wife, the husband that you have, the kids that you have, the job that you have is not by accident? You are in this room, in this very seat this morning for a specific reason. God has brought every single one of you here and it's by design that you are in the situation that you are in. I don't know if someone needs to hear that this morning that your life is planned by God, even though sometimes it's hard. And God wants to give you joy, and he may be pruning you in this season of your life, but he's doing it because he loves you. You're not here by accident. Here's the second thing, disobedience. Another way to say disobedience is sin. Sin, disobedience. Sin robs us of our joy. Now, why is it that sin or disobedience against God robs us of our joy? It's because we were not created to operate out of a place of sin. We were created to operate out of a place of walking in step with God in the garden. And so when we sin, God is not actually distancing himself from us because he will never leave us or forsake us if we know Christ. But the feeling of his presence is what goes away. And so when we sin, we're not, we're not walking in step with God's desired order for our lives. And so the presence of God does not seem like it is there. And there's been moments in my life when I am walking with Christ and I don't even know it, but the Holy Spirit convicts me of this reality that, man, I'm not walking in obedience and, and God uh, illuminates this truth to me that I need to repent and turn back to God. And so I don't know if there's anybody in here this morning that maybe feels or even right now is being convicted that, yes, this thing is robbing me of my joy because I'm living in sin. If that's you, you can repent of that, right? That's the good news of the gospel is that we don't have a God that hates us. We have a God that is for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Not that God so hated the world he sent his son. And that means God loves you. And maybe he's calling you to forsake that thing that is hindering you from having joy or hindering you from walking with Christ and to throw it at the foot of the cross and understand that you're 100% loved by Christ. Number three, Third thing that robs us of our joy, comparison, disobedience, and idols. Idols. I'm not talking about the Old Testament thing where we think of an idol as a gold statue. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what is an idol. 
An idol is something simply that we place above God in our lives. And in my life, what I have seen personally is that oftentimes I don't even know I have an idol there. I don't wake up every day and go, you know what, God, I think today I'm going to put serving a ministry above you. God, today I'm going to wake up and put trying to serve my wife above you. God, today I'm going to consciously make an effort to love material things more than I love you. I don't do that. I'm sure you don't either. But what happens is we have habits and habits create a lifestyle. And so after a time in my life, I've seen, man, I have an idol in my life. I don't even see it. And all of a sudden, I'm not spending time with the Lord like I used to. It's been weeks, maybe months, and I'm not praying. I haven't even thought about God. And I'm a pastor. I haven't thought about God in weeks. What's going on? Maybe you've experienced that too, or something like an idol has taken root in your life. And what's the answer to that? It's not to beat yourself up or to feel shame or guilt. We don't have a God that wants us to feel shame. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the answer to something like that is to recognize it even today and look at the cross and say, God, I know I have put this above you. I know this thing has been in my life for a while, but I want to have you back in that place that you deserve. And so help me do it by your strength. Help me do it by your power. And so I don't know where some of you guys are at in your walk with Christ. As I mentioned, some of you are maybe here for the first time. You've been here with a friend. You've come a long time to, to harvest and it's been a great church for you. But maybe you're just in a pattern of suffering or in a time of discouragement. Or maybe you're killing it in your Christian walk. It's amazing as well. But wherever you are at and wherever you find yourself, I hope this truth that God is for you would encourage you just a little bit more in your walk with Christ. But there is a, a part of this passage that I don't want to miss. We kind of glossed over it. And it's a part of this passage that is hard uh, for me when I read this because it's challenging. And if you look at this scripture, Jesus says a, a couple of different times that there are branches that do not bear fruit that God actually takes away and he throws away. Harsher language, he says, God takes those branches and actually throws them into the fire. What does this mean? It essentially means that those who do not have an ongoing abiding relationship with Jesus aren't actually with Jesus at all. Those who do not have a life that is submitted to Jesus in every aspect are not actually with Jesus. Jesus says, there's more to following me than coming to church once a week and then living like the world the rest of the week. There's more to following me than saying a prayer when you are seven years old and coming and, and living your life like the rest of the world, the rest of your life. There's more to following me than saying I'm a Christian because my family's Christian and I grew up in West Michigan. The heart that God is after is a heart that is 100% submitted to Jesus, that desires Jesus above everything, that wants Jesus to be on the throne of their life above everything else. So can you say that about yourself today? Can you personally say, yes, I want, I want to abide with Jesus. Yes, I don't do it perfectly. Yes, I sin. Yes, I mess up. But at the end of the day, yes, I can say that I want Jesus above everything else and my desire is to live for him. Can you say that? And if you can't, like I've already mentioned, the correct answer is not to beat yourself up. It's to look at the cross and to see the greatest demonstration of love ever shown to humanity. To see Jesus crucified, but now he's risen again. 
to see that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, that he wants us to have a relationship with a perfect heavenly father, a God that is for you. And if you don't know Jesus, God is for you in a different way. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher said that God is the hound of heaven, which means he is chasing after people to draw them to himself. And so that means if you don't know Jesus today, God is truly for you, but he's running after you, asking you to accept the free gift of eternal life that is only found in Christ. A verse that I love that speaks to this, Romans 8, 31. We, we, I think we might know that verse. It says this, if God is for us, help me finish it. If God is for us, who can be against us. And he says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gave up his son. And if he did that, the greatest demonstration of love ever shown, how will he not lavish us with his goodness and his grace? We have a God that is for us. I promise you, people will let you down. I'm sure if you've, you've experienced it before. Friends will let you down. Your family will let you down. Your kids will let you down. And nobody this side of eternity can provide the longing that you are looking for. Nobody except Jesus. God is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time once again. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here in this room we can never leave your presence because you will never leave us. Thank you, God, that you have sent your son to give us life. That Jesus, you may be calling out to some people in this room this morning to, to make that decision for the first time to say, yeah, Jesus, I, I wanna follow you. We don't have to muster up our own strength. We don't have to do it by ourselves, but we simply just have to recognize that, yeah, I've been living apart from you and I need you, Jesus, in my life. And so I wanna give my life to you now. Remind us of this truth as we leave and we go to work tomorrow, Monday, throughout the week, Tuesday, every other day would we remember when life gets hard that God is truly for us. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.